Our Father, we, we want to quieten our souls and our minds. It's hard to do that, Lord, uh, but we ask for grace through our Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Please help us to be calm and listen for your voice as your word is preached to us. Pray that, Lord, you will mercifully turn our hearts and our minds and fix them on Jesus, not on the preacher, not on ourselves, not on our circumstances, but completely on Jesus. Would you please be glorified this morning as we listen together? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, life is very busy. Now, I don't, I don't have to say this because everybody knows it. If I should go around and ask how the week has been, everybody is going to say, well, most people, if you're like me, will say that this week has been busy. And it's true. And there are good reasons why this week has been busy. Um, some are parents, and if you are parents of little children, you know what it means for life to be busy. That alone is full-time job. Some are, in addition to that, homeschooling. Some are moms and wives and workers. They work somewhere else, you know, what we call secular job. It's not secular job, but you know what I mean. So life is busy. Some are students, and they have homework, and they have to work, and they are busy with how to get their parents to do things for them and so on and so forth. But here's a question that I want to ask. In the busyness of all of our lives, what is the end goal? What is, it, what is the ultimate thing that we are so busy about? What, what are we looking for in life? What do we want to achieve? What do we want to accomplish? If life is all about get so busy, get a lot of money, meet the needs, pass here, pass there, drive there, don't drive there, have this meeting, have this Zoom meeting, online, in person, and all these other things that are happening, what, what do we want to achieve? If I ask you right now, what is your ultimate, ultimate vision in life, mission in life? What do you want to have? Thank you very much, Papaya, uh, um, for reading. I'm going to read again what Paul says, and then we'll explain a little bit, and then we'll pray and finish. So I communicated the shorter version of the passage. I should have given you a longer one. So let me read from Philippians. Please turn to Philippians chapter 3, and I'll read from verse 7 to verse 11. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Jesus. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by all means, by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul is putting before us straight away his highest ambition in life. His highest ambition in life. Whatever you see of Paul, whether it is of his mission, traveling here and traveling there, whether it is of his tent making, in order that he will not be too dependent on a particular church, whatever you see, none of these things, none of these things was his highest ambition. His highest ambition, he tells us, is that I may know Jesus. And the power of his resurrection. What is your highest ambition in life? Somebody asks you in the street. My highest ambition is to know a person. Is to know Jesus. Now, if you ask me that, immediately my mind will go to career. My highest ambition is to become attained. Or I would describe something of family. Or something of a personal accomplishment. For Paul, the highest ambition for him is that I want to know Christ, the Messiah, and the power of his resurrection. Now, if you say this after Paul, uh, people in Accra today, most people in Accra today would think you are out of touch with reality. Uh, but some, maybe they have a point. In saying to us, you, you probably are out of your mind. Well, we are all Christians. Like, we all are in Accra, in Ghana. Everybody goes to church. Most people go to church. After all, statistics show that 70-something percent of us are Christians. I don't know what that means. So, why should you so make this Jesus your highest goal in life? Because, again, within our thinking in Christianity, Jesus is a means to an end. So if you have Jesus, then he provides you with your highest goal, something outside of him. He is a means to an end. Paul says, no, 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 no. I want to have him. I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. So the question is, why should Jesus, why should Jesus and the power of his resurrection be your highest goal in life, your highest ambition in life? Now, this is what Paul is saying. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. What, what are you talking about? He's talking about being passionate about him. Oh, what do you mean by being pa passionate? Is it uh, um, jumping everywhere and talking about Jesus and showing that you are a Christian? Well, he's saying something uh, different. Uh, to be passionate is to look at the whole of life through Christ. He says that I want to know Christ. I want to live life. Yes, I want to do things. Yes, but I want to do every aspect of things, life, through Christ, the lens of Jesus. It's like having Jesus as this. And every aspect of my life ought to be seen through him. So why should I make Jesus my highest goal? Because all that we want in life, my brothers and sisters, it may not be obvious to us on the face of it. 
all that we want in life, all the glories we desire in life, all the peace we seek, all the satisfaction we are looking for, whether we look for it in sex or in marriage, everything that we are looking for, these deep things that our hearts long for, can only truly, truly be found when you know Jesus. And I'll explain what he means by knowing in a minute. When you know him, can only be found and experienced in Jesus, the person. So let's restate Paul's goal in life. Uh, Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. How can I know the power of his resurrection? How can I know him and the power of his resurrection? How do I know this person? The the way you know this person is when you begin to see who he is. The way you, you live for him, the way you look at all of life through this lens, is when you begin to see who he is and all the benefits in him. Then, my brothers and sisters, you will no longer put confidence in yourself. It wouldn't make sense if you see Jesus for who he is. Then, putting confidence in what I accomplish and what I do, whether religiously or whatever it is, doesn't make sense. When you see Jesus, okay, so listen to Paul. Let's walk through it. And I'll try to be clearer. Verse 7. Listen to him. He says, Whatever was gained to me, I now consider, count it as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. So that I'll have Christ. Anything that I gained, now it is nothing. I don't want it anymore. So that I would have Christ. Verse 8a, the first part. I consider everything, everything a loss. Why? For the the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. Everything is a loss to me. Because I have come to understand not just the worth of knowing Christ, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. It is more than worthy to know Christ. Whatever that looks like. Verse 8, the middle of it. B, I lose everything. Why? For the sake of Christ. So that I will have Christ. For Christ. For him. And the last part of verse 8, verse 8C. I consider them garbage. That word. Manure. Dung. Cow dung. I consider all these achievements garbage. Why would you do that, Paul? You have toiled for these things. So that I may gain Christ. Oh, not the benefits of Christ as such, that, that I may gain Christ himself. You've got to remember that what Paul is saying is so serious because Paul had made a lot of gains in life at this point. He had previously put his trust and confidence in these gains that he had made. And then he tells us about them, some of these gains. Look at verse 3. Let's go back a little bit. Verse 3 to verse 6. For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. 
who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, there is a reason I can put confidence in my flesh. If anyone else thinks he has they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. Do you, do you hear how repeatedly this idea of confidence, confidence in the flesh, confidence in the flesh, confidence before God is what he's talking about in the flesh, in what I'm able to do. If anyone thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have reasons, I have more. Verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, ethnically, I am a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. I am not just any ordinary Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And in regards to the law that was given to us, I am a Pharisee. Now, don't think of it as somebody who says, I'm a hypocrite, like we often think of the Pharisees. Think of him as someone who wholeheartedly and passionately seeks to obey God's law and to do it ceremonially and every other thing. I am a Pharisee. And when it comes to zeal, verse 6, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Now you would think, why would Paul say that? Persecuting the church and you put it on your credentials because the church was seen as going against God. They were a sect. They were counterfeits of Judaism. And so out of zeal to protect God's name, he persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, that comes from the law, based on the law, faultless. This is what I want to say. None of us here can say this. To start with, none of us is ethnically Jewish. Well, maybe there is somebody. I shouldn't conclude so fast. And when it comes to righteousness, which is based on adherence to the law, as far as my people are concerned, they will mention my name. I was faultless. And then Paul comes to this realization. He says, all this, all this self-saving basis of confidence, all these things that I have gained, that seem to give me this sort of confidence, even when I stand before God, I am standing before God thinking so much about me in these terms. As important as they are, as thankful as I am for them, for my nationality and my ethnicity, where I come from, and my religious achievements, I am no longer putting my confidence in them. I'm no longer putting my confidence in them. How did you come to this point, Paul? He says, I'll tell you, I came to this point when I saw Jesus. When I saw the surpassing worth of knowing this Jesus, this Savior, my Lord, and the power of his resurrection. When I came face to face with it, not only on the road to Damascus, but as an outworking in my life every day, the more I knew Jesus, the more I couldn't believe how on earth I could put my trust in my gains. What is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus that blew Paul away, that gave him this highest ambition in life? Look at verse 9. Verse 9, he described this, this, this knowing, 
this surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. He describes this in, in a very interesting way. Verse 9, he says, to be found in him. To be found in him. It is like God gives himself in Christ to Paul and then takes Paul and puts him in Jesus. And then verse 9 again, he says, so that I will not spend the rest of my life trying to carve out my own righteousness before God, but I will receive the righteousness that comes from God through Christ in the power of the Spirit that you can receive by faith. Think about it. This is a righteousness that will be working out in your daily life. Every day. This is the surpassing word. What is the surpassing word? God gives himself to me in Christ. God gives himself to me. Am I the only one excited about this? I was sitting this morning in the garden and I was literally repenting and trembling because I knew I wouldn't be able to communicate this as I should. Lord, have mercy. Paul, spending this good part of his life trying to gain this right standing before God, this confidence in the flesh, this is what I have done. And then somehow he encounters Christ and encountering Christ, and then he says that, oh, I discovered that what I am trying to accomplish, actually, God doesn't just give it. He gives himself in Jesus to be found in him. And then he gives the righteousness, that perfect obedience of Jesus to the point of death. He gives it. He clothes me. And the power of that, he talks about the power of the resurrection, will come there, works in me for the rest of my life new life. And so he says that I counted all these things as laws as I got to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and I grow in knowing him. Uh, again, let me remind us that the idea of being found in him and knowing him is an intimate language. When someone knows someone in that sense, it's intimacy. He's talking about knowing him, not just knowing about him and having ideas and reading about Jesus. Not even simply by reading the Bible and getting more information. It is reading the word. And God, the Holy Spirit, taking this word mystically somehow, bringing us in love with Jesus evermore, appreciating, worshiping him. And what more can I say? Jesus means everything in life. And everything in life is seen through Jesus. I intimately want to know Jesus to the point that I become like him. I become like him, he says. Uh, you know, some, somehow, uh, when, when couples have been married for some time, and by the grace of God, they're so close, they begin to look alike, isn't it? No, no, not always facially. I mean, my wife will not be happy if you say that I, I'm looking like, she'll not be happy, I know. But we become similar in different ways. We look alike in terms of mannerism and behavior. There was a time I was making a statement. And as I started the statement, she completed it. And it was exactly what I was going to say. That is scary. Now Paul says that 
I want to intimately know Jesus until I am found in him and I become like him in my thinking and behavior and so on and so forth. He had spent the whole of that part of his life. He had worked hard in order to achieve righteousness, right standing is what we're saying, with God, based on self-confidence, the idea of boasting, glorying in himself, only to realize that the more you see Jesus, the more you saw Jesus. My friends, let me tell you something. If you're not a Christian here, I'm glad you're here. I am putting before you through this word of God, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will minister to your hearts. The most precious, not just a thing, the most precious person, 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 this world can never offer you. God has to offer you that. And that is God himself in Jesus. God gives himself to you. And when you know him, your life will never be the same. But sometimes we don't want it. We are like children. You know, when we're growing up in Bubiashi. How many of you know Bubuashi? Bubuashi is one of the finest uh, suburbs in Accra. You know Bubuashi? Prof knows Bubuashi. Because from where I was born and where he was born, not very far. We're very similar. And when it rained, the children will gather and we will play in the mud. Wow! You step in the mud and the little ponds, they just sort of, and we got so excited about it. And then somebody said, no, I want to take you to the beach. And we said, no, 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 we like this. Because we don't know what beach is. Though I was born in Accra, I had never been to the beach. No, what is beach? It is, in a sense, it's not a very um, good illustration, but it is, in a sense, what Paul had been doing, playing in the mud. Playing in the mud of gaining and gaining. Not that there was anything wrong with the gaining, except that that was the basis of his confidence. And then the Lord Jesus appeared in the gospel and he says, I will take you to the white, sandy, coconut-filled beach. So what kind of, again, what is this knowing? Let me take it further. This intimate knowing. Paul wants to basically seek the transforming power of Jesus. And that's what he means by the resurrection power, the power of new life. That power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is the same power that transforms the Christian. And I want to experience Jesus and the power that brings transformation into my life. That makes me look like him. I want to be raised to this new life daily, he says. I want to become like Jesus is basically what he's saying. I want to become like Jesus. I desire intimacy with him so that I will become like him. There is no way you become like him unless you are found in him, in union with him. So the resurrection of Jesus is not only something that happened in history. It did happen. It's not just something that happened in history to be believed. Oh, the resurrection happened. Do you believe that? Yes, I believe it. I'm a Christian. The resurrection of Jesus is a present power because Jesus is alive. It is a present power that God unleashes into our lives when we come to Christ and when we abide in Christ. 
that power is the power that brings transformation. You don't bring the transformation. The works that you do is as a result of transformation taking place in you. And Paul knows the source of this transformation. It is knowing Jesus intimately every day and being found in him. As we, as we grow in intimacy with Christ every day, this is what happens spiritually. I can't describe it any further than I'm saying. There is an outpouring of the resurrection power which is in Jesus, into us, in him, by the Spirit. The Father does this and is changing us. It's transforming us. What happens to us? The resurrection powers work in us is a supernatural thing. Do we do something? We'll see that we do a lot. But we need to understand it well. But think about it. How can a person move from being selfish to becoming compassionate and generous? Have you ever thought about it? How is it that people move from being bitter, just, just going through life bitter, to becoming forgiving and truly forgiving? How can people transition from finding their identity, they are working their guts out? How can they find, um, move from finding their identity in work and relationships to now resting in Christ? How does that happen? Well, that only takes place because of Jesus in a person and his resurrection power that the more you know him, the more he pours it out. And there is this transformation that is taking place through repentance and faith as we turn to this Jesus more and more. But how does it actually happen? How does this, knowing Jesus and resurrection power actually happen in me and in you if we trust in Jesus and abide in him? Look at verse 10 again. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. How does this transformation actually happen? This Resurrection power, how does it work? The answer is that it works through suffering. <laughs> that is not the answer I was expecting. It works through suffering. It is, you become like Jesus in his death. Do you know something about Christian suffering? Ah, you might think this is strange. Christian suffering points to the fact that you are becoming more like Christ. As you go through and share, that idea of sharing is fellowshipping. I want to fellowship with Jesus. What do you actually mean by that? Oh, I want to receive all the benefits from Jesus. Good. One of the benefits you receive is suffering. I want to beg you, my brothers and sisters... Literally put your hand in your heart and in your mind if you can. And plug out every idea that wants us to see suffering in the Christian life as something of God's punishment, as something that we fall short, something evil is happening to us, Satan is having a go at us, or our faith is weak. And begin to see suffering 
as a participation with Christ. If you want the resurrection power, the way it works, as outlined here, is embrace your suffering. Is it because suffering is enjoyable? No, we saw that last week. It is painful. But do you think the cross was enjoyable? No, the cross was painful. When you are invited into Jesus, uh, you are actually invited to share with him in everything. And that includes his sufferings. Not just one. Sufferings, he says. The more you seek to grow in knowing Jesus and becoming like him through the resurrection power, the more you will suffer. You are drawn into his suffering. You're drawn into it. People insult you and you hold that back. Isn't that painful? No, isn't that painful? Where is that idea coming from? It is from Jesus who himself was reviled and insulted and yet like a sheep to the slaughterhouse, he just kept quiet. And he spoke when it mattered most. But otherwise, he knew that we needed to accomplish this through suffering. The resurrection will only happen through suffering and death. Through, please understand this, through the suffering that we have to go through as Christians, various forms, and we'll see an example of that in Christ himself in a minute. You see, what we want to experience is that we want to experience the resurrection power that transforms. I want to become like Christ, okay? Isn't it? Suffering and dying is God's means for the believer to cause a number of things to die in us so that Christ's life will shine in us. The two cannot dwell together. Self, self, the flesh, cannot dwell in me and rule and have its way and Christ at the same time. I cannot experience Christ's resurrection and still have me, my deadness living in me. But you know what I'm talking about. It is through suffering that the Lord brings the life of Christ out in us. What does this suffering actually look like? Let me give you an example. What does it look like in this life? Let's not go very far. Let's stay in Philippians. Now I'll finish soon. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3 to 8. Let me read it for you. You listen. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, he tells the Christians, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, the very essence God, did not count equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to hold on to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what is he saying? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, count others above yourselves. No, that is not how to live. You don't count others above yourself. You insist on your rights. Not looking to your own interests, but that of others. How am I going to make progress then? Not holding on to who you are. Jesus, very nature God. Giving it away. Being a servant, he says. Being a servant in this world, it doesn't work that way. People will trample on you, especially at the workplace. Being a servant, obedient to God. Obedient to God at all costs, even at death, an embarrassing death, yes. And so what does it mean, really, to, 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 to suffer? It is this. You see it in Jesus. It is actually when, when, when my, my, my flesh wants to assert itself, wants to insist, wants to have it, wants to hit back, wants to do everything that human logic says, this is how you live. He says, no. Set your heart on Jesus and set your heart on obedience to God. And you know what that happens? You are going to suffer and it will be painful even to the point of death. That is, that is dying to self. Because myself tells me that I always need to retaliate. I always need to do this. I always need to do that. I always to look out for my own interests. And Christ didn't. And then when I'm found in him, and when I know him, I begin to walk in this path of suffering. Not living for self, but living for him. It is in this context of living for him that the life-transforming power of the resurrection is experienced. Things are dying in us as we die with Christ every day and we are living his life, the resurrection life. Verse 10 to verse 11. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Do you again see what he's saying? He's saying that our suffering itself becomes God's gift to us. God's gift to us such that we will be changed, and this suffering changes us every day until one day, verse 11, we have attained the perfection of the resurrection power. One day we will be perfected when Jesus appears. The resurrection power will be seen perfectly in us. In this life, what does that look like as we journey there? It is suffering and dying and suffering and dying and suffering and dying. And as we die and die to self and all the other things that I find in me that I can't do anything about except to know Christ and embrace him and I repent and I turn from these things, what is happening is that these things are reducing in me and Christ is shining in me. And the more these things reduce, other ones surface. And then he introduces some form of suffering so that it will purify me. Suffering, I hate to say, is a gift from God to his church. And some of you, suffering may look as simple as God will relocate you from your home country 
to another country where logistics are easier to find. And then you are in my home country. Here, logistics are not easy to find. There are good things. There are good things. Don't get me wrong. But God throws us in there. And so that in that new context, when things are annoying and things are frustrating and the light goes off and the tap is not flowing, the water is not flowing through the tap, and uh, the workers said they would turn up at 10 and they never turn up at uh, about three days, and God is working out death of impatience in you, that you will learn the resurrection life of patience by the Spirit. Ah, do you know that suffering for the Christian is, um, I don't know how to say this in, in English, but if something has a multi, the Americans say multi-purpose, multi-purpose. One is in the believer, and I've been describing that a lot. The other one is for the people who surround us, who are around us, the people who are around us. And Paul talks about it that through our suffering, as through Christ's sufferings, even as we are in him, God does incredible things by the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to him? He is in prison. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You would have thought, right, that when you are experiencing the resurrection power, what should happen logically? What should happen logically is that you have now overcome. Nothing goes wrong. After all, you, have, you are knowing Jesus, the creator of the world, and his resurrection power. We as Christians will tell fellow Christians that if you are a Christian, and, and I've been told that uh, a few times, why are you, why are you suffering? a dear brother who at some point of um, some difficulties in my own Christian life came to me and said to me, look, why are you suffering? Why are you making yourself so weak a Christian? As for us, and he was referring to his wife and himself, we apply the blood of Jesus, whether it is for healing, it is for this, and we are free. Have you seen that we don't fall sick? And then something tragically happened. The wife suddenly, I'm not saying the Lord disciplined, but here's sometimes how our theologies are turned upside down. The wife suffered all of a sudden and died. Where is the blood of Jesus? Well, it is because we haven't, we haven't understood Jesus, knowing him, the power of his resurrection, and the pathway to that is through suffering and death every day. He would do it. So don't go and tell the other brother or sister who is unwell that somehow they're not praying enough. You don't know. Just be quiet. 
For all you know, this is God at work mightily in their lives. I have a number of loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord. And one particular one that happened, I called her my favorite auntie. When the Lord took her away, how can God take away one of the finest Christian women I have ever known? Oh, then I realized that the Lord is giving her eternal rest, but the Lord wants to work in me. The Lord wanted to shift my, I loved her so much, I depended on her for all kinds of conversations. And the Lord said, well, I guess you are beginning to idolize your favorite auntie. You've got to turn your attention a little bit to me. If God is at work mightily, my brothers and sisters, part of the signs, most likely the sign, would also, not exclusively, would also be suffering. Look out for it. And then when it's happening, ask the Lord, in this, may I experience Christ the more and his resurrection power and transform me and grow me so intimately that I will become like Christ. Save me through this suffering from self-worship and self-absorption and confidence in personal achievements and my religiosities. For my guys who you've been coming to church, you're not a Christian. May I speak to you again? Because you are deeply on my heart and more on God's heart than you can possibly know. Let me again say that you're not going to find what you are looking for in anything or in anyone. Education, as good as it is, I love education. It won't give you that. You are looking for it in marriage. Marriage won't give you that. For some people, they will say, Ish, don't even mention that one. Wherever you are looking for, you can only find it. Please, turn to Jesus. Turn, like come to him through prayer. Trust that what he says is true. And ask him to forgive you so that you turn from yourself, trusting in yourself, and you trust him and what he says about him, what he has done, what God has done in and through him, and confess your sin to him and say he should forgive you and pour himself into your heart. Do it. And you will become his. And then after you have become a Christian, he's going to use suffering sometimes, maybe most of the time, and he's going to shape you. It's going to be like a chisel on the wood if you go to a breed, a calvary shop. But at the end of the day, something beautiful will emerge. You won't believe you are the same person. And so trust him as you go through difficulties. Can we stand for a moment and pray? Could you please talk to the Lord yourself? I don't know what you heard. Ask that we will, you will be experiencing Christ and the power of his resurrection. 
the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that by any means possible, you will attain to the resurrection from the dead. Again, ask the Lord. The Lord knows you have needs. The Lord knows you have needs. Financial needs, marital needs, this needs. We can name them. But can I beg you that just this morning, ask God by his spirit that you focus your attention on what matters most. Every other thing will be informed from there. And that is Jesus. Knowing him and the power of his transforming resurrection. Let me pray. Father, I, I almost want to confess. Confess my weakness and inability to communicate this overwhelming, glorious truth to your people. I pity myself, but I beg you that somehow you, Lord, in your mercies will speak to us from this text again. That the curtains will move a little bit, that we will have glimpses of Jesus from your word. And we will experience this power that changes us through suffering and death to ourselves in Jesus, in his death. Please help us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.